hello, and welcome to the fire pit at the heart of the forest, at the time between times. The time it's neither night nor day, but the sun has gone, and the sky is grey. All around us the shadows flit amongst the trees. Far away we can hear the noise of the forest animals. Maybe the howl of wolves, the growl of bears. But we know we are safe. Safe right here, at the time between times. And today I am not alone, for this is a place of friends, a place of friendship. A place where we can share ideas and just have a lovely chat. And I'm here today with Emma Hurt of the Weird Wiltshire blog. Emma, a very good friend of mine. We have been on a couple of adventures together over the last year. How are you? Hi, Owen. Thanks for inviting me on for a chat. Um, no problem yeah, at very all. well, thank you. Up to my usual ghostly stuff. I could tell. Lots of great episodes of the blog, lots of great stories, lots of great little adventures you've done, and that's what we're here to talk about. So welcome to the fire pit, Emma. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> no problem. Now, you're someone who does a lot of travelling in the Wiltshire area, someone who's passionate about the area, someone who is very interested in the paranormal, in ghosts, in stories, in local legends. When did this first come about, Emma? When did you first start to be interested in these sort of things? Um, so I always hark back like a lot of us that are into these subjects. It goes back to childhood. And um, I mentioned this on the blog itself. There's this little story, my nan. Um, so this, I'm quite old now, mid forties. So this was years ago. Um, she, very working class family, and she used to work down in a pub in Surrey. So my family were originally from London um, and it was called the Dolphin Inn in Betchworth. And after she retired, she was still really good friends with the people that ran the pub. And, and we used to go down there as a family and my mum used to take us for visits. And it was uh, probably like sort of 16th, 17th century pub. We used to be allowed to go upstairs. And I remember I must have been seven or eight, maybe even younger. And they'd tell me the story of old blind George who lived upstairs. And I'd be partially, I remember being partially absolutely terrified, but partially really fascinated by this ghost that lived upstairs. And somebody, I do remember, I half remember looking at some sort of photograph they showed me of the ghost of old blind George. Um, probably in hindsight with someone in a sheet. Um, but it kind of, I think that was, the, that's my first memory of sort of hearing about ghosts and being like, oh, what is this? I'm really scared, but I'm really interested. And then like many of us, I don't know if you remember them as well, but we had like the Osborne books, the Hamlin books, the famous old ghost books. Um, that have been, some of them have been reissued recently, actually. I remember having all those and reading through them and looking at the photos, um, the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall. Yeah, Owen's showing me a picture of the world of the unknown ghosts and I've got that exact copy on my shelf as well. <laughs> um, so there's that. I remember my mum as well, she used to, she loves her ironing. 
um, used to listen to London Talkback Radio and they'd have phone-ins and I remember once in a while they'd do people's ghost stories and my mum would call me and I'd be absolutely glued to the radio listening to all this. Um, I wouldn't be interested in anything else but just those particular stories. So I think it's all just come about this interest for many years and it stuck with me through school. I remember going on ghost walks with my friend um, when we were in secondary school in London and it's grown through it. I've always had an interest in it. And then of course, Most Haunted came out. Well, that must be what, 20 years ago? Um, and always watching that. And um, it's the last three years or so, it was in lockdown that I started the blog. So I've really sort of thrown myself into the world of ghost folklore and history. And here we are talking about it. That's amazing. So you go back to the uh, the pub when you were young and old, Blind George, is it? Has he yeah. followed you through your life? Has he been your sort of token ghost, the ghost that follows you, the ghost that um, you always go back to? Is he one that you remember? Did he give you nightmares? Was he a frightening thing? I think it was a frightening thing. But like I say, it's not that I ever saw him. I'd always just be scared of going upstairs in the pub. And, and when you're little, these places are huge too. You know, you couldn't see over the top of the bar. But it was a place I loved going to. So I've got really good memories of going there of having, you know, oh, you can go behind the bar when no one's around and get your bag of crisps and have a lemonade and like simple things that make kids happy. Um, and being in the kitchen where no one else was allowed, like when they were making the pub lunches. And it was, so I think old Blind George is sort of tied into that. Um, and I don't know if he even exists or whether they were just trying to scare us kids. But either way, it's always him that I kind of, whenever anyone asks me, where did all this interest come from? It's like always starts at that point in that old pub. And I expect it is haunted because most old pubs are, let's be honest. <laughs> it's fabulous though, because I remember yeah, as a small child, um, somebody mentioned to me a witch called Nellie Pooh, and that oh. name just put a shiver down my spine, and it still does. And um, in my play and in some of my stories, Nellie Pooh appears now. But Oh, really? Yeah, it's very much like what you've mentioned there. You know, somebody told me a ghost, and it's such a, an evocative name, and it's such a, a name that, that sticks with you circumstances took you out of london down into deepest darkest wheelchair if i could say it and yeah. um you have now sort of set up camp there you do the weird wheelchair blog what's the difference you see in the sort of folklore in wheelchair compared to that in london i mean it's not a million miles away but as regards the countryside as regards to what is around there the, the way that people live it's very different isn't it yeah i mean i left london when i was 19 and i ended up down this way because I actually went traveling and met uh, an ex-boyfriend of mine in, in Australia and he was from Salisbury. So when we came back, I realized I couldn't stand London, big bad city. Um, came to visit him in Salisbury and just fell in love with the place because it's, I'm a country, I think I'm a country girl at heart really. I've always had horses and stuff. So, um, and I love being out in nature very much connected to the great outdoors so obviously which is a great place for that it's absolutely magical um beautiful rolling down london hillside and chalk 
sort of chalk downlands and there's woods and there's mystical things there's loads of history um so i think it's hard for me to compare what's the difference between london i suppose the, the ghosts and the folklore are associated to a bloody past they're normally related to buildings whereas here it's more of um there's definitely more of the folklore and mysticism around it i think there's more sort of stories about uh connected to stone circles connected to woodlands streams old buildings as well of course but not like there is in london it's just completely different and um I love this county. I have tried to leave, and I was talking to someone about this the other day. There is a theory that there's elastic that keeps you, once you get to Wiltshire, if you're meant to be here and you try and leave, this piece of elastic sort of pulls you back again. Um, and, and I have tried to leave, and I do get pulled back time and time again. And now I'm kind of given up, so I'm staying. <laughs> <laughs> I can see what well, I can see why though. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were really lucky to spend the weekend down in uh, at Avebury and uh, with, mm -hmm. with a, a large group of friends. And I had never been down that way, and I was amazed. I was blown away by the standing stones with a long barrow, the the pub with a well in it. Um, yeah. We went to Devizes. We stayed in the um, in the uh, the Black Swan there, and and the yeah. ghosts. All that it it, it had an identity that sort of really struck home with me and to be honest i think that a little bit of that elastic band has got hold of me because i can't wait to go back <laughs> <laughs> and just to get out the car in avebury and, and look at those standing stones look at the the old houses and the the people who were there it had a certain magical element to it is that somewhere you go often and when you've been there have you felt or seen anything or or been really sort of attracted to anything there yeah, I mean, I love Avebury. Um, it's something that's come up before. People have said, do you prefer Avebury or Stonehenge? Now, Stonehenge is probably the place that Wiltshire is most famous for, um, apart from Magic Roundabouts, which are up at Swindon, but that's another story. Um, yeah, most people, if they know of Wiltshire, they know of Stonehenge, and that's about it. But, of course, the lesser known, but I think far more magical stone circles are to be found at Avebury. And I went there years ago, um, probably the late, oh gosh, early 2000s, I think, and went up to the Long Barrow. And that was actually when I saw my first crop circle in Wiltshire that time. We just happened, it was in the field opposite Silbury Hill, which you and I visited. Um, and it, we just happened to come across the crop circle on this particular day and we were able to go up into the field and actually stand within it. So that was cool. And then I didn't go back to Avery for a while, but um, since Weird Wiltshire's been going, I seem to be going up there every two or three months because I've met friends as as we all have through my creative work. And sometimes they say, oh, I'm coming to Wiltshire. Do you want to meet up? Um, Avebury is a great place to meet, go for a lovely walk, there's plenty to see, you can go and have beer or coffee if you prefer, um, and there's so much history and it's just a great day out, and I I don't know, I do feel a real connection to Avebury, um, I love walking the ancient ways and all the paths around there, and thinking about how people have probably been walking them the last 3,000 years, probably even more. Um, 
and then there's the long barrow so i know i've mentioned to you before i had a weird experience up there and that was last november and do you want to hear the story i'd love to okay <laughs> so it was november time and what i what i've done for the uh, blog is i've actually written a series about avery called walking the paths of our ancestors so it's sort of three parts long and there's one final part to come when i get around to it and so i needed to go up there to get photos of silbury hill and the west kennet long barrow um it was november it was a day when i unexpectedly didn't have any work on because i'm a freelancer so sometimes i'm working sometimes i'm not um and i just thought right i'll pop up there take the dogs we'll go and get those photos it was a rather cold wind swept day so there weren't many people around and that gives a a totally different feel from when we visited so it was just before solstice wasn't it when we were there and the druids were there and it, it was sunny and and beautiful but in winter um it's quite bleak up there and and cold so i walked with my two dogs headed up past silbury hill up towards the long barrow and i could see from a distance all the people going up the hill towards there and there must, must have been eight or so it was at a distance so i couldn't see them but i could see people going up there and i remember thinking to myself oh i'm not going to get a decent photo because it's going to be too busy i headed up the hill one of the national trust people that work up there came down and another couple nobody else at all didn't think anything of it but i got up there um and there was no one around so i just figured they must be actually in the long barrow that itself because you can as you know you we can you can walk in there and have a look around um i was outside for a while just looking at the view trying to do a video for the blog um unsuccessfully i may add and eventually went to go into the long barrow and i had the dogs and i popped them on the lead um and we all kind of peered in it was very very dark as you would expect and i went to go in there and i took a few steps and there's two of the burial chambers either side of you but you walk in towards the back and there was just this complete darkness and this feeling this overwhelming feeling of you're not welcome don't come in here um it was just kind of more stay away and I know, in, I know that I do spook myself. I, I totally am aware of that part of my personality. And I sort of scuttled back out. And I was like, no, don't be stupid. Come on, we're going back in. And I went to go and try and go in a second time. And I can only describe it as this just this dark feeling that was kind of warning me to stay away. So yet again, I backed out. I took the dogs off the lead. Even they were a bit sort of peering in as if to say, you know, What's, you know, they, they didn't seem buddy, my lurcher, who's very sensitive. He didn't seem his normal self. He'd have been straight in and he, he didn't. Um, and what I did have is I collected this sort of nature offering to take up there on a walk a couple of days previously. So it was leaves, it had acorns, flowers, various other bits and pieces. So I actually went out back outside, took my rucksack off and got it and went to take the offering in. And as I went in, I sort of said, look, I'm coming in peace. I don't want to disturb you, but I do have something to bring you. And it was almost like the atmosphere lifted somewhat. Um, the darkness, I didn't feel, I felt like 
actually go to the back of the barrow and and I, so I did I still didn't feel comfortable but I left the offering and I thanked whoever it was that was there for letting me come in to visit and swiftly exited and I was going to stay around a while outside but I felt like I just wanted to get back to humans so me and the dogs like scuttled off down the hill and back past Silbury Hill and back to sort of civilization and it's not really like me to be like that I'm used to being out in nature for hours and hours on end and um, I don't know what I felt it was very weird it was a really weird day so that's my weird experience from Avery basically that's incredible I think I I, I'm kicking myself. I wish I'd told a story in the Long Barrow. I'd love to. <laughs> and that's something I'm going to have to do next time. And I think I'd love to record it. But I can see what you mean. There is a certain atmosphere about that place that is yeah. so different, so um, removed from what we're used to. And um, I was quite taken back by it myself, and also by the hill as well, um, near it, which yes. um, was unbelievable, wasn't it? And the, the stories around that, are uh, there are so many weird things that go on there. Um, mm. and people have seen so many incredible sort of sights and ghosts and riding on horseback, tales of a UFO inside it as well. Um, I think you told me that on the day. And um, an amazing yeah. place. Yeah, and they still, the thing is with Silbury Hill, um, is they still don't really know what it's for. I, and, and in fact, like Stonehenge, um, the Stone Circle itself, what were they actually built for? And we don't know because people didn't write stuff down then. Um, they don't see it as important. And that's one of the reasons that I think the likes of you and I, it's really important that we record people's stories going forwards because then in the future, people, will be able to look back and say oh they recorded this it's almost like a social history um but yeah the the fact is that thousands of years ago and even hundreds of years ago people didn't always write stories down so so we are none the wiser as to why silbury hill which is almost the size of the pyramids apparently why is this massive blob on the uh, landscape? And the folklore is like your story that you told, it was the devil who dumped it there. Um, but it could be any number of reasons why it was built. <laughs> it could be. And and that brings us nicely, Emma. You've, um, you've moved to this wonderful part of the country surrounded by legends, myths, stories, ghosts all these things and during lockdown a particularly dark period for a lot of people but a bit of a creative sort of awakening for a lot of people as well you started yeah. this weird weird wiltshire blog which mm. um you've got many subscribers you've got loads of great articles on there covering a wide variety of um, different topics for those not sitting at the fire pit at the heart of the forest can you tell us about the blog can you tell us exactly where you can find it tell us what's there what you can look at well, what what sort of things you've written about yeah so it's just i started it i'm actually a copywriter editor proofreader by trade but what i realized is i never write anything for my own enjoyment so lockdown came along and um we all thought oh we're gonna have all this spare time on our hands um and it was a good chance for people to start these sort of creative projects. As it turned out, I ended up working and homeschooling, so it was really stressful and I didn't end up with any spare time. But I did start the blog off and it was really just for me to write for my own enjoyment. So I wanted to write my own personal stories of things that have happened to me over the years, but also about places near to me. And there was no agenda 
other than if it interests me, I'll write about it. But as to my surprise, uh, other people have started finding it, enjoying it. And um, so I've just been going around Wiltshire and it's a good excuse to get out for a day, take some photos, explore, and then come back and do some research about that area, the history, the folklore, and the ghosts associated with it. Um, so I've covered certain bits of Wiltshire and I might add, it's not just Wiltshire. If I take a liking to somewhere outside of Wiltshire, I'll write about that. Like I've got a story coming up this summer it's from um, Yorkshire. I've got some ghost stories from Wales on there. Um, we've just covered Tintern Abbey, which is where you and I visited. So anyone, if you want to see about our day out, head over to the blog. It's the latest one. And um, I'll be traveling far and wide. But the other thing I really like recording, like I mentioned earlier, are people's own personal stories because it's surprising there's so many people out there that have had something weird happen to them and they've never really told anyone or they've told a select few. Um, and I've always sort of put out there, if anyone's got their own story, they'd be willing to share. I'd love to tell it. So I've met lots of amazing people either on the phone or by just over socials or chatting on Zoom and I've been able to tell their own personal stories. So there's quite a few of them on there and they're, they're the stories I like the most because they're the ones that aren't known. So there's a great big mixture and there's normally one or two new blogs a month on there for people to have a look at. I'm also on Twitter, of course, while it what exists. I like, <laughs> what, what I like about it, Emma, is it's very, it's so you. When I read an article on Weird Wiltshire, it's almost like you're speaking to me. It, it, you've got such a distinctive voice in your writing, which is uh, <laughs> which is really nice. And it's, it's really, no, it's excellent, and it's really accessible as well, which is um, something that attracted me to it. There were a lot of things in there that I wouldn't normally um, look at, but they became interesting because of the way you present them. What's the address so people can find it? I'll put it in the notes uh, below the uh, show as well, but. What is it? Um, yeah, so it's weird-wiltshire.co.uk. Simple as that. Easy. There we are. Anyone who's listening, please check that out. And um, Emma writes some, some fantastic articles there. So you've been to a lot of strange places. You've seen a mm. lot of strange things. What's the about the weirdest thing you've ever seen or the scariest thing that's ever happened? Um, well, the West Kennet story is quite a scary one. Um, I've had so many weird experiences over the years. Um, most of them are on the blog. Um, and again, I've it's the, we've spoken about this before, but it's very easy to say, oh, it's all in my head. Oh, it's just one of those things. But I'm beginning to think, is it though? Are these experiences just that way? Or are these sort of feelings that you get, these gut feelings and these sort of, intuitions are they just in your head or are they actually signs from beyond um i think the weirdest story for me was about a family holiday and it was up in yorkshire um so again it was my nan was there my mum my dad and my brother and uh, our family dog so we went to stay in this cottage and it was before airbnb i think my mum got the number up out of the newspaper and booked it for a week and we turned up and it was like somebody's old home so we were staying there for the week and i remember on the first day because 
like dads do, they love to set off on holiday at about three in the morning to make an early start, you know. So we were, us kids, by the time we got there, we were really tired. And I remember falling asleep in this, what I would describe as a sort of study on the sofa and waking up to the smell of pipe smoke. And it was a nice, it wasn't a bad feeling, but it was just a real feeling of someone being in there with me. Anyway, um, we stayed over, this was the first night we stayed over and the cottage had um, sash windows for anyone that doesn't know, they're the ones that sort of pull down um, old Victorian style. And it was actually quite warm, which is rare for Yorkshire, I believe. But the, my mum had left the windows open it was about four in the morning there was a road next to the cottage with a lot of potholes and unmade sort of track and these lorries started going along and making a right noise and and apparently they did wake my mum up and she said that they heard the sash windows a couple of two or three of them throughout the house just shut this lorry went and these sash windows went down and my nan had a separate room and she was always awake at that time and she said she would hear the window shut and then see a shadow go into the bathroom because she had her bedroom door open and it would go in, but it wouldn't come out again. And at first she thought it was my dad, but every night the lorries would go. So every every night, sorry, morning at four in the morning, a lorry would go along the unmade track making a right racket and the sash windows would shut and the figure would go into the bathroom. So. Us kids, we weren't told any of this, thankfully, because I'd have freaked out. Um, but on the morning we went to leave, my mum was talking to the lady who owned it, and she said, oh, you know, what's the so what's the noise? Why are all the lorries going along? They did wake us up every night. And the woman said, oh, yeah, there's a quarry down there. It's the lorries that start in the four in the morning. Um, of course, this was my dad's house. Um, he died a year ago. That's why we're renting it out. He used to get so annoyed with the noise that he'd get up and shut the windows as soon as the lorries went past. And I assume he would then go and do a quick wee <laughs> before he went back to bed. So the only thing I can think of is that it was still, he was still getting up in the night, shutting those windows. Um, so that's, again, another childhood ghost story. What a great um, yeah. ghost story, though. That's a great ghost story. And one mm. that will really stay with you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. That's that's fantastic. That sort of sent a shiver down my spine, that did. It really did. Um, when people come to the fire pit and there's just the two of us, they always choose a story they want me to tell, if you like, a story that perhaps means something to them or a favourite story or a story they'd like to hear again. And I, yeah. I think you, you've brought one, haven't you? Do you want to tell us what yeah. it is? Um, well, it's a story for you, and it's about um, stone soup. So I've read about it as being um, a Wiltshire folklore story, but I believe on further sort of investigations that this story exists in various parts of not just the country, but I believe there's a version of it from Portugal or somewhere like that. And it's really a moral tale. It's a bit like an Aesop's story. So it's a folklore tale and it's a really nice story, but it's also one that makes you think, oh yes, uh, especially in these modern times where we're perhaps losing our sense of community, our compassion and our kindness. And it's a little reminder that 
if we all work together and we look out for each other, there's a lot that we can achieve. So um, that's why I chose this. And it warms my heart when I heard it. And um, I know you're going to make a great job of telling it. So I hope that all the listeners enjoy it. I want to thank you so much for joining me tonight. It's been really great um, to have your company, which is always great. Um, the Weird Wiltshire blog. Is there anything else you'd like to tell anyone about or anything you've got coming up or anything you want us to look out for? Um, just I'd, I'd love to get more subscribers. Um, I don't email you. I don't bombard people, but just let you know when there's something new coming out. I've got l loads of new projects um, on the go and a possible book, but I will say no more about that. And um, thinking about a podcast, but there's always the time that it takes to produce that. But yeah, um, I just intend to carry on bringing you more, hopefully, enjoyable, interesting stories of ghosts and folklore and history. Great stuff. Well, thank you ever so much for joining me. Just sit back, relax, and I'll tell you this tale of stone soup. Thanks, Owen. Our time at the fire pit grows short. So join me as I take you to the village of Liddington in Wiltshire for the tale called Stone Soup. It was long ago and far away, in the height of midwinter, that a lone figure trudged into the village of Liddington. The snow fell like a blanket and he huddled his coat around him until he came to the village square. There he set up his wares, for he was a tinker. He sold plates and pots and tools and trinkets, all of them hanging from a chain atop a small wooden table. And there he sat on his stool, clutching his coat around him as the snow fell down. Some of the doors to some of the houses opened and outstepped figures who called. Do not buy from him. Do not let him into your house. He will murder your children in their beds. We have nothing. Do not give anything to this stranger. He knew it would be a long day. The day went on and became darker still. Covered in snow and freezing cold, the tinker started to tidy all his goods into his sack. His stomach was rumbling and his, his purse was empty. He travelled to each of the inns in the village and neither would let him in. Desperately, he started to knock the doors of some of the villagers, asking if he could stay the night in exchange for a small tool or a pot or a pan. All the doors were slammed in his face and he turned around and braced himself against the coming dark when suddenly a voice called out Hello, you are welcome here if you wish to come. He turned around and there in a darkened doorway he saw the figure of an old woman bent over. Come on, quickly! I can't keep this door open for long. The tinker made his way into the house and there he sat on a stool by the meagre offerings of the fire. A stone pot hung from the ceiling, 
empty and clanging in a small breeze. There was a curtain across the room and he could see the old woman's bed on the other side. You can sleep on the floor by the hearth there, but I cannot offer you any food. There has been a terrible harvest and I don't think any of us could eat again tonight. Don't you worry. The roof you offer is enough for me. But I will repay you with a meal fit for an emperor. Can I just borrow the pot? Of course you can. The tinker pulled down the pot and placed it on the floor. He opened his bag and pulled out a stone, smooth, with a white stripe making its way across it. The old woman looked carefully as she could see that on the stone many names had been carved. What's that? You can't eat much with a stone. I will make stone soup. It will be the nicest thing you have ever tasted, fit for a king, if fit for anyone. Now I will go outside. I will make a fire in the town square and I will cook the soup. I may ask you to come and inspect it a time to time. And then we shall dine like you've never dined before. That I promise you. He carried the pot outside and the old woman looked through the window as the tinker made a fire and hung the pot above it, placed the stone inside, took some water from the well and filled the pot and watched it boil. The snow fell thicker still as she watched him stirring the pot, always clockwise, never anti-clockwise, round and round and round. The water started to boil, the pot started to boil, and then she saw the tinker place in a spoon and taste the liquid. He pulled a bit of a face and called back to the house. Hi, I think... We have a soup fit for a beggar. What we could really do with here is an onion, just to add that certain something, you know. I don't have an onion, called the old woman from the door. But from across the other side of the square, someone else called. I have an onion. A man stepped out of the hut made his way across the square with a battered-looking onion. I have been watching you making this soup. If I can have a taste, you can have this onion. He gave the onion to the tinker, who placed it into the soup and started to stir round and round. I thank you, sir. This will indeed be a great meal. He carried on stirring and time went on. Then he turned and shouted to the old woman once more. It's almost ready, but I don't have any barley. That would suit us fine. I have some barley, shouted a voice from the other side of the chair. And out came a woman. She tipped the barley into the soup. You can have this, if I can have a taste, when all is done. Well, it's a soup as fit for a merchant at the moment but it will become magical still. Again it went on. The tinker called for mutton, and the farmer's wife brought the hindquarters of a sheep. Placed in it was. He called for potatoes, and there the cobbler's wife came and gave him potatoes. The people all gathered around the pot, many of them, 
and now the smell of stone soup wafted over the square. Eventually, he stirred the thick, beautiful broth with a spoon, took it in and made a taste. There we have it, a soup fit for a king. All the villagers dined on the soup that night. All of them had their fill. All of their hunger vanished, and the grumblings in their belly became still. When all was finished and the pot was empty and everyone sat around, their hearts filled with song and story, the tinker turned to the old woman and said, Take the stone and scratch your name upon it, then put it back in my bag. You are just the latest to have offered me kindness and the latest to have tasted stone soup. Wherever I travel, this is offered to those who offer me comfort. For a meal made and eaten together is a meal fit for a king indeed. All the people looked at the tinker and nodded their head. Many felt bad that they had been unkind to him before. But now they had their stone soup, the greatest meal they had ever tasted. And that, my friends, for Emma, who joined me here at the fire pit at the heart of the forest at the time between times, is the tale of stone soup. I thank you all for listening to this other episode, this fire pit fable, and I hope you will join me soon. My name is Owen Staten. There are many tales upon this podcast, many going back hundreds of years. I hope you enjoy them. If you want to support me, please suggest a tale and write to me at owenstaten at aol.com or follow me on Twitter at Owen S. Griffiths. If you really want to support me, you could buy me a coffee at coffee.com forward slash owenstaten or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash owenstaten7. Thank you for listening. Diolch am grando. No stop.